How do you play uphill and downhill lies? And what types of adjustments do we need to make to make sure that we hit the ball crisply? Let's tee it up. Welcome to Data Access Golf, your home for rapid golf improvement. And now, from the thin air of the Rocky Mountains, next on the number one tee, your host, Aaron Stewart. Hey everyone, Aaron Stewart with Data Access Golf, the podcast, going live today on Facebook. I'll also be throwing this up on apparently YouTube, and it will be in the podcast, so we'll see how it goes. Hopefully, you are enjoying your Memorial Day weekend we got rained out today, so not, not a lot of golf, but I spend a good time here in the office looking at stats and having all kinds of fun that way. But what I wanted to do was talk a little bit about today about downhill and uphill lies. As we get back into the season, they were, especially uphill lies for me, have, they have caused me such a problem over my life. I've just, I used to just have such a horrible time with uphill lies. I mean, and my problem was I'd either hit it, I'd either hit way behind the ball or I'd catch it thin and send it like over the green. And uh, so I fought this for a, a long time since I was little. Uh, really was always terrified of uphill eyes. Downhill eyes never really bothered me too much. He actually played the ball pretty well downhill, but uphill for whatever reason caused all kinds of problems. So we had a hole on one of our golf courses, uh, one of the courses that I used to play that had this, uh, an uphill par four. And so I just decided it was really close uh, to us. So I just decided that I was going to take the time to figure out how to play uphill lies. And then um, actually one day when I was out in Carmel working with Fred Shoemaker, I just expressed to him my utter frustration with uphill lies. And he went out and spent, we spent a good couple hours just working on uphill lies. And it was great. It was completely awesome. And after that, I, uphill lies now are... Um, great. I love them. I enjoy playing them. So just, I wanted to go over kind of a couple strategies and things to think about when you're playing uphill eyes and downhill eyes. So first of all, I'm going to go with uphill eyes first. First and foremost, you'll hear a lot of people, there's a lot of different uh, strategies out there. If you read like Harvey Pinnock's book, he talks about, it's a very interesting way. He talks about actually kind of leaning into it and scoring up your shoulders and playing the ball back in your stance. And I I've never felt comfortable with that. That's how I tried to play it. And I ended up with, I would hit the ball behind the ball a lot. So what I do, and ho hopefully this works for you, is I get set up and try to get your shoulders um, kind of parallel to the ground. Um, but, and, and then you're going to feel a lot of your weight sort of on your back, your back foot. I just have to make sure that that weight never goes um, to the back side of my foot, but it always stays in the front, if, if nothing else, to the front side. And so I always try to have, when I start my swing on an uphill lie, I try to have most of my weight towards the left side, just because to kind of balance that out. I mean, I've mentioned before that I have kind of this weird situation where I go from, I put a lot of weight on my front foot, a, a lot of uh, pressure on my front foot, and it kind of moves back to impact. So I have to be super careful on, on uphill lies. So anyway, so you'll start, you'll start your swing that way, kind of get everything lined up. But at this point, once you get comfortable, take a bunch of practice swings. And pay, this is actually from Fred Shoemaker, pay a ton of, pay a ton of attention to where the club starts brushing the ground. 
you have got to be sure and see how that is associated. So get set up, put the club down in the middle of your, middle of your stance and take a few swings and see. What you'll notice is, depending on how your weight's moving, the low point of your arc is going to adjust as well. And depending on the pitch of the ground, that could be quite a, quite a great distance behind depending on how you're shifting your weight that day. And that can change day to day. Never assume that your swing is gonna be the same day to day on an uphill or a downhill lie. It depends on the pitch. It depends on if the ball's above or below your feet. There's a lot of things to consider into that. So the, the best way to do it is get it set up, feel comfortable, and then take a few practice swings. And then associate the ball to make sure that you catch the ball first before you hit the ground. I don't know why more people don't talk about this, but that is the best way to make sure that you hit a good shot uphill. Now, obviously, um, going uphill, depending on where the green is associated, um, you're shooting the ball uphill. Usually the green is uphill, so you're going to lose some distance. It's not the same as flat, right? So you have to take into account for that. Um, if it, I usually just add uh, 15, 15 yards depending on um, well, wind and everything else. So I usually just go up a club and call it good when I've got an uphill lie, unless I'm into a little wind, and then I'll throw another one up in there. Um, and, and then if the green, if you've got an uphill lie and the green is level, it's about half that. And if you've got an uphill lie and the green is actually down below you, um, then you can actually, they kind of cancel each other out a little bit. You can pick up some distance that way. So that's for an uphill lie. That's what's worked for me. Hopefully that works for you. I definitely find, though, that the ball is further back in my stance on an uphill lie in order for me to hit it crisply, and that's because I, I tend to move my weight more 50-50 at impact, which is not what we want most people to do and not what I want to do, but that's just kind of how my swing is right now and we're working on it. Um, obviously, it would be best if we could get to the left side, but on an uphill lie, I mean the front side, but an uphill lie that's really difficult to do. So something to think about there. And then if you're playing into the wind or with the wind, um, a lot of weird stuff can happen on an uphill lie. Uh, depending on how the wind, I, I don't know what it is, but how the wind comes in and interacts with the slope going up. So I've had a lot of occasions with an uphill lie where it's actually just knocked the ball down. And a lot of that has to do with spin and different things with the ball. But I always find it... Um, that I need to hit a little bit more than I think with the wind. Uh, it's not a total one-to-one, -one, but say if I feel like it's going to be seven yards, uh, if I feel like I need to hit it an extra seven yards up the hill, then I will just add half that and say, okay, I'm going to add 10, 11 yards and hit a club that way. So uh, if that helps for you, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is with this spin on the ball, but on uphill shots, I tend to have my ball knock down more than uh, than you'd think for it to, to take it up with it. So for whatever that's worth, on downhill lies then, this is actually a, a pretty interesting thing. It's very similar in that you want to level your shoulders and stuff, but for because you don't have, you've got the ground sloping away from you, a crisper shot is much easier, right? Instead of hitting it fat and getting it messed up that way. Um, where I see that most people tend to make a, a mistake here, and I don't know necessarily why, is they tend to push the ball further in their stance. Um, and I don't know if that's just, um, I think it has to do with the fact that on an uphill lie, you're kind of leaning, you know, you're kind of leaning into, let's say you're kind of leaning into it a little bit. And 
where your head is and where everything's sort of balanced and you kind of try to get everything balanced and you push up and somehow or another we feel like the ball needs to be up in our stance a little bit and that's not necessarily the case. This is definitely a situation as well where you want to make sure that you take a lot of practice swings, see where the club head is brushing the grass and, and put the ball in front of that um, and, and swing that way and make sure that you can pick the ball, pick the ball clean. Uh, a, a thing that you do obviously have to remember with the downhill lie but I think that this is kind of why it helps us is it's very hard to get to that back foot, but it's very easy to get to the front foot. And so mess with that a little bit and see how your body is working on uphill and downhill lies and understand what your tendency is. And then when you take your practice swings, make sure that your practice swings are matching what your tendency, tendencies are and then try to match that up with it. Um, again, with wind, this can be very different. Obviously, with a downhill lie, and if the green's down below you, you're going to pick up a lot of distance. And so you can probably go, you know, you can probably drop down a club or two. Um, if the, if you've got a downhill lie and you've got now a, a green that's level with you, now you've got a downhill lie that's going to, you're going to, you're hitting a ball with a club with added loft, essentially, with the downhill. So you're going to need less club to get it where it is. But the problem is you don't have the height that you normally have to stop it on the green. So you have to take that into consideration. Um, so I usually try to figure out a yardage to the front of the green and try to hit it to the front of the green on a downhill lie. Uh, Cause I tend to pick up a little bit more, but it's coming a little hotter, a little flatter. So it's not going to stop as quickly as it normally would. So that's a good way to adjust that. The downhill lies are actually a lot easier to hit just cause the ground's going away from you. As far as the wind goes, um, yeah, when, I've noticed uh, with a downhill lie with wind at my back, that can be a huge problem and really, really send the ball a long ways. So definitely be careful with that. Into the wind, one of the funnest shots in the world, I think, is a downhill lie into the wind uh, because they kind of cancel each other out. So I usually play basically the same yardage, especially if the green's down below. And because of the wind and you're hitting into the wind, you can get a little more height than you normally would with a downhill lie. And it just is kind of cool to hit one crisp and see it sort of just hold into the wind, especially if it's like direct, directly at you and really feel like you've hit a good one. goes to the wind and then it, it lands soft. So it cancels out kind of the problems that we have with the downhill lie into the wind. But then with, with the wind, man, it just adds all kinds of A downhill lie with the wind is, is a scary deal. So definitely have to be sure that you're staying back a little bit to the front of the green and see if that works out. For you but that's that's how i play them that's how it works for me uh I, I and i love golf courses that are not all flat all the time i love golf courses that make you play uphill and downhill shots um, i'm not really big on courses that have like greens that are way up above you or greens that are actually greens way below you can be sometimes cool but if it's totally if the greens are up and down all the time that seems to get a little annoying, especially up all the time. I mean, uphill lies into a, a green that's uphill and trying to hold it and judge it and not being able to see the bottom of the pin, that gets to be a little tiring. And there's definitely some courses around here where I play where we've got that, not to mention any names, but red ledges. So anyway, a Jack Nicholas design course that is seriously no fun to play. I mean, that thing's a disaster. Anyway, so um, hopefully that helps on uphill and downhill eyes. Uh, let me know. Comments down below. We've got a lot going on here uh, expanding. 
and pushing things out everywhere. So check us out on, fa on Facebook at Data Access Golf, Instagram at Data Access Golf. I've actually got a, a, a Vimeo channel that's going up. We've got a YouTube channel that is up now, and we'll start advertising those a little bit more online. So take a look for us there. Obviously, subscribe to the podcast. It can be found on iTunes, Apple iTunes. Please do that there. Leave comments, questions. Happy to jump out and talk about uh, anything we've got going on. Uh, I've been looking at kind of Kevin Na's uh, statistics. He said something really interesting in this tournament. He believes that there's really only seven or eight courses left on the PGA Tour where he can, where he can do well. And that the length and the difficulty of the courses are getting to a point where he can't really uh, get around and feel comfortable there. Fortunately, Colonial Country Club is one of those where he feels comfortable and that he feels like he has an uh, opportunity to do well. And so that kind of begs the question, is that all up in his head? Does he just not believe that he can perform well other places? And so it's sort of a self-defeating attitude? Or So I was looking at his statistics trying to figure out exactly if it was in his head or if it's a situation where he just believes that there's courses for him and, and those other courses he doesn't have a lot of interest in doing well or playing on. Um, so some kind of cool things that are poking out of there. I would say definitely for Kevin, for Kevin Na, his stroke scan off the tee definitely show that um, for the, he loses strokes to the field off the tee. And that would lead you to believe that he absolutely knows what uh, he's talking about. Uh, as far as his putting goes, in 2018, he picked up half a stroke every round with his putting. And in 2019, he's actually losing 0.1 strokes to the field. So one of his strengths is now causing a 0.6 strokes around. So you can see that that would be really difficult for him. Nowadays, he's essentially uh, 0.7 strokes per round behind his 2018 total for the year so far. So you can kind of see that just his performance, overall performance, isn't necessarily holding up to how he performed in uh, 2018. Uh, but I don't want anybody to feel necessarily bad for Kevin Na in that uh, he turned pro in 2001 and his career money, and I don't know, I don't know if this will shock you like it shocked me, but career money, he's, he's made uh, $850,000 so far this year and he's statistically having a very, very bad year, but he's already got... He's coming up on a million uh, for playing as poorly as he has played. But his total money since 20, 2001 is $28 million, $28.8 million, almost $29 million. So it's kind of hard to feel bad for Kevin Na. Not that we do. I mean, he's out there playing, playing well. He had that cool experience with Tiger Woods and pulling the ball out of the hole quickly with Tiger Woods on 17 at Sawgrass, which was a pretty funny, entertaining little thing. I actually do have an experience with Kevin. I was out at the fry. It was called the fries.com open at the time. And I was happened to be in California to meet with Fred. And so I, I, I just pulled over and went over and, and watched a, a round of the tournament. And so I started following Kevin knock cause he was the closest to the clubhouse at the time. And so I started walking around with him, watching him play and really a nice game, nice player. Um, somewhat animated on the course which I'm not, I'm not a super fan of. But the thing that I found the most interesting about Kevin Na is his dad was following him around. And his dad would, would just get exasperated and, and was so demonstrative when Kevin Na would like miss a putt or uh, make a mistake or something. His dad was just like throwing a complete fit, uh, like a, a, a mini tantrum 
uh, whenever he'd make things. And I started to notice that Kevin Na, when he would miss a putt, he would, he would look to where his dad was and watch his dad have his little freak out. And I thought that is so odd that it doesn't really matter where we are in life. We still have these, these mental issues going on. And I, I mean, poor Kevin Nye, his dad was, um, I mean, as a dad myself and having a dad, I mean, I, if my dad acted like that, um, I, I don't know how, I, I just wouldn't want him to be at the course. You know, and I've definitely walked around the course with my boys when they've played in, in tournaments. And, uh, and I, I've been, it's kind of opposite, right? When they show emotion on the course, I kind of get disappointed that way. But when they, performance-wise, when they miss a putt or hit a bad drive or something, that's never really bothered me. It's just that that's part of golf. So I just thought that was an interesting relationship. I don't know why I'm throwing it in this podcast, but it's just a story that I saw and found it to be a very odd. And I don't know how many PGA Tour pros have their dad follow along and act like that, but I'm guessing not many. And where that all comes from, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it's the parents are so invested in his, his career. Um, and uh, I don't know how much of the $28 million they've taken for themselves. I don't know. But it was a very interesting dynamic for sure. And I, I had no intention of following Kevin Na. For a long time, I wanted to go around and, and follow some other folks, uh, but I was so fascinated by watching this relationship that I followed him, for, I think, for six or seven holes just to see this go on. And it was it was extraordinary for sure. Very interesting dynamic. So anyway, hopefully none of you have parents following you around throwing a fit when you make a bad shot. I know I don't. And, and that I guarantee that that's a better way to play. So. Until next time, better data means better golf. I hope you enjoy your Memorial Day weekend, and I hope you get to play some golf. I'm going to try to do it on Monday. My daughter really wants to get out, so we're going to try to get that done. So until next time, thank you. Better data means better golf. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Data Access Golf with Aaron Stewart. Check us out online at dataaccessgolf.com, and we'll see you on the next episode.